Welcome to Helsinki Open Waves. You are listening to Art Science Ecology podcast series conducted by Contemporary Art Commissioning Agency, IHME Helsinki. My name is Paula Toppila and I'm the Executive Director and Curator of IHME Helsinki. I'm happy to chair our advisory board, the members of which will be hosting the six episodes of this podcast series. In this third episode, one of the members, Hanna Johansson, Dean of Fine Arts Academy of University of Arts in Helsinki, will have a conversation with Tracy War, head of research for Dartington Art School, about what does ecological transition mean in the context of an art school. Hello, everyone. My name is Hanna Johansson, and uh, I am a member of advisory board of IHME Helsinki. And I also work as a dean of the Academy of Fine Arts Helsinki. But also I have worked more than 20 years in the academia and studied the relationship between contemporary art and ecology and the involvement of non-human actors in contemporary art. Today I have a great pleasure to uh, welcome uh, Tracy War uh, here also as my guest uh, in this podcast today. Dr. War is a fiction and non-fiction writer, and she has a long academic career. She is currently working as head of research for Dartington Hall Trust, where she supervises PhDs and teaches MA programs on poetics of imagination, arts and place, arts and ecology in particular. Previously, she has uh, she was a senior senior lecturer and program lead in fine art at Oxford Brookes University. She has also worked at fine art departments at Bauhaus University Weimar, at Saint Francis University in France, and at Glasgow School of Art, to name a few. She's also an artist with a very mixed portfolio. She's, for example, writing on contemporary art medieval fiction and biography, as well as future fiction. In addition, she's making text-based and often site-based art installation. So, welcome, Tracy. Hello, Hannah. <laughs> uh, it's nice to have you here. I'm very uh, pleased to be talking with you. Thank you. I have learned that you have been working on environmental environmental topics for years. Uh, that is why I'm curious to hear what your own history in ecology and art is. And also, if it's possible, how do you see that eco- ecological issues in arts have transformed or changed in recent years? Okay, uh, well, Hannah, my own practice as a writer, artist and teacher um, has focused on the environment for the last couple of decades, at least. I tend to work in long term collaborations. Hasn't been a plan. It just happened. It just evolved that way. Um, so, for example, I worked with two artists, Joe Jolson and Bruce Gilchrist on the development of a project called Outlandia in the Scottish Highlands. And that's an architect designed treehouse um, opposite Ben Nevis Mountain. 
So it hosts artists and writers residences and the artists there are working really immersed in a forest and mountain landscape. A few years back, we organised a project there called Remote Performances, where we worked with Resonance FM, the art radio programme, and we ran a radio station in the treehouse. We commissioned sound artists, international sound artists, but also local people, local musicians to make programmes with us. Um, And then together with Joe and Bruce, the two artists, I edited a book on that project called Remote Performances in Nature and Architecture. And then uh, really, I think I've had three long-term collaborations. So um, Joe Jolson and Bruce Gilchrist, that's one of them. A second one is with another couple. They always seem to be couples, also just an accident. Alan Smith and Helen Ratcliffe, who run a project in Northumberland, in the north of England, and that's called Alan Head's Contemporary Arts. It's in rural Northumberland. Um, They're based in an old schoolhouse with a gallery in the village and an astronomical observatory. Um, And I was guest professor, for example, this is a long time ago, at Pete's Watt Institute in Rotterdam, and I took my group of MA students to Allen Heads and we tracked the course of a river with an ethnobotanist. So we were literally wading in the river and learning about its flora and fauna and how it had shaped the land and the human history around it. And then recently with another colleague, Rob Lafrené, I worked again at Allen Heads in Northumberland and we ran a future fiction writing workshop and we installed future fiction stories all around the village for people to discover, like kind of portals into another time and place. Um, And I've made my own text-based installations there too, including a piece called The Extraterrestrial, which speculates on the extraterrestrial origins of water. I'm really fascinated by the enormous temporal and spatial scale of the journey of water. And then my third long-term partnership has been with Nomeda and Gediminas Urbanus, Lithuanian artists who are now based at MIT in Boston. And we worked on a series of projects together, including River Runs, an investigation of the River Thames in Oxford. And we were really interested in how the river is a commons, um, unlike the land around it, the banks, um, and how, you know, the maximum speed of a river is five miles an hour, which means that everything slows down, you included. Um, We built a raft from recycled materials. We interviewed people who live, work and play on the river. We organised the Wet Symposium, which was a conference about the river, but it actually took place in the river. So we had a number of policymakers, for example, from government bodies who um, got into the river for the first time (laughs) for this conference. Um, And we were swimming and talking. And then more recently, I collaborated again with Nomeda and Gediminas Urbanus on a project called Zoetics, um, 
And there we explored mycelium, algae and bacteria. And we ran a workshop for MIT students called Learning from the River. That was on the Charles River. Um, Nomeda and Gediminas recently ran the Zoetics Symposium at MIT and they showed their project Swamp School at the Venice Biennale where the swamp itself is the tutor of the school. Um, and there's, there's an essay on the River Runs project in a MIT book called Public Space Lost and Found, which Gediminas ed edited. And there's a book on zoetics coming out from MIT soon. So um, rivers and water are an ongoing obsession for me. I, I was um, commissioned too to make a work in an exhibition in France called Exoplanet Lot. And I, I was in that exhibition with a number of other artists, including Tanya Candiani from Mexico, Hey Hey, who are French and English, and Caroline Le Mahote, who's French. And we had to imagine the Lot Valley as an exoplanet and make a site-based exhibition. And the Lot is the most meandering river in France. So I made up a watery exoplanet called Meander, with an A at the end, uh, with an intelligent amphibian species. And I wrote a novella, a Twitter fiction, and I made an installed text piece along the river path. And then that work developed into my recent future fiction book, The Water Age and Other Fictions. So I'm really intrigued by questions such as, why does the sight of an immersion in water make us happy? Or some of us, at least. Um, what is the glee of the river? Um, what's the relationship between consciousness and water? And what can we learn from the slime body technologies of aquatic flora and fauna? So these are some of, the, some of my obsessions um, that I work with. I participated in Frontiers in Retreat, an art and ecology research project led by Helsinki International Artists Programme. And I collaborated with Yeni Nurmeniemi on a book um, coming out of that project called The Midden. Um, then just um, sorry to go on for a long time. It's because I've been working for a long time. So <laughs> I have a lot to say in answer to your first question. Um, but perhaps that also helps me reflect on your second one about changes um, in, you know, how artists are working with art and ecology over the last couple of decades. So my most recent work um, was that at Dartington, I organised along with two colleagues, Alan Bolden and Rob Lafrené, um, a talk series called Art After the Collapse. And that was in collaboration with Leonardo magazine and their laser talks network. So Art After the Collapse included talks by um, people from Extinction Rebellion um, and a number of artists who were working focused on ecological issues such as Paul Cheney and Neil White. And, and those talks are recorded on our local radio station, Sound Art Radio, which is based at Dartington. And then my most recent project was Microhabitable in Madrid which was organised by the artist-led group Inland, working in collaboration with Serpentine Galleries in London and Matadero in Madrid. Uh, in that project, I, I, so I was in residence there for a month and I 
I've always been fascinated with Hieronymus, Hieronymus Bosch's painting, The Garden of Earthly Delights, which is in the Prado in Madrid. So I, I drew on that um, and I began following water drops around um, a botanical hothouse um, called the Palacio de Cristal de Argonzuela. So I spent a lot of time hanging out in that hothouse, watching what the water does. Um, and my method really as an artist or and a writer is to start with a mess or an assemblage of ideas, texts, images, and then rather than reduce them to rational order, I try and make the mess expressive. <laughs> um, I, I kind of can compost my own work and that of others as my creative process. So in, in that Madrid project, I was looking at the human microbiome because it was about um, scale, micro scale, and the human necrobiome, you know, what moves into the human body after death. Um, and I got very interested in this, um, trying to write about life circles, you know, how life cycles round to death, decomposition, decomposition, and then life again. And hence my interest too in the midden heap and composting. Um, you know, I think looking at that cycle can tell a very big and important story. Um, so how have, the, how have the issues transformed? Well, 10 years ago, I taught on one of the first Arts and Ecology MA courses that, uh, that was running at Dartington. And we've just launched a new Arts and Ecology MA. Um, obviously, climate change and extinction issues have become much more urgent. Um, it's now glaringly obvious that minor tinkering with our lifestyle choices won't do um, and that we need a paradigm shift um, and that, you know, we all have to be the critical mass that makes that happen. Um, also, a thing that I've really noticed is how much the more than human theme has has come to the fore um, with a concern about extinction of other species, but also an awareness that we can learn a lot from how other species navigate their in this environment and interact with each other. Um, yeah, so I, I'm thinking with a very broad notion of non-human life, including rocks and water. Um, and we, we don't have a shared language with that more than human life, but we have a proximity and we can engage in close observation um, and we can we can use our body um, as a way to interact perhaps with, you know, other life forms. Um, it's it's clearer now that we've that we have to be working with nature's own cycle of life, death, decay, decomposition instead of trying to control and manipulate that instead of trying to defy death um, and simply keep extracting material um, as we've done as a species. Um, but one final thing is that I'm very interested in islands, um, you know, so hence being in residence on Sumanlina off Helsinki was a very big impact on the work I've been doing the last five years. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by the sort of mucus slime body technologies of, of uh, aquatic flora and fauna 
And if you think about it, um, it's not a very polite subject, but we have our own <laughs> our own own slime body technologies. Um, yeah. So and that's uh, there is a slime technology research center at MIT. So I've been ca- following what they're doing very closely. Thank you so much. Uh, uh, it was really fascinating, fa- fascinating to listen all these things. And also I can understand and follow quite well uh, this, uh, let's say, changes or transformation, what has happened. I And I, of course, can uh, quite easily agree with you. Uh, the Midden uh, book I know, as well as the Frontiers in Retreat project, But I didn't actually remember that you have also been in uh, HIA presidency in uh, Suomenlinna. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, nice to uh, to hear that you it has has an, uh, had had an influence on you. So, but maybe uh, it would be nice to continue from there and ask more uh, precise uh, questions. But maybe uh, on your own uh, work and uh, uh, its history. But maybe we we move on and. Uh, And uh, to more uh, kind of educational uh, issues. Uh, and the reason why I wanted to talk with you, especially and about uh, art and edu- art education and ecological transition, really stems partly from my personal interest, of course, and personal involvement, but maybe more concretely from the fact that the University of the Arts, Helsinki, And the uh, Academy of Fine Arts, as a part of the University of the Arts, Helsinki, has a new strategy from the beginning of this year for the next uh, four years. And one of the important goals or goal is the is uh, in the strategy strategy is uh, that art is part of the solution to the ecological sustainability crisis. And here we see that the ecological sustainability crisis will become and has already, of course, already become uh, an increasingly defining factor for the development of uh, society, changing the relationship between uh, humans and the biosphere. And University of the Arts wants to provide the tools to discuss this major change through art and artistic thinking, so that ecological thinking permeate operations across the entire university. And that is why we have defined a strategy and measures that promote ecological sustainability to steer our operations in the university level. And we have also integrated the team of ecological sustainability into our teaching, research and artistic activities. And I think that we can recognize maybe uh, three levels at least where we must start to make these changes as educators in the institutional level. And the first one is the infrastructure and the university's action in general, from the carbon emission measuring, the principle of purchases to circular economy, economy recycling of the waste and reusing of the materials, uh, really kind of overall materials, what we are using and then reusing all all possible materials. 
And the second deals with the core mission of our university, that is uh, education of artists, and then research, artistic practice, and societal influence. And the third part is how to, or question is, or challenge or task is how to change the mental attitude of the whole community and every employer, which also demands education of how to unlearn from the destroying habits we have grown into. And I have also understood that you are working as a head of research at Dartington Art School, which has a rich and multi-leveled interdisciplinary learning community working for a sustainable future. You have MA programs, of which one focuses on arts and ecology, but I have understood that you are also starting to offer doctoral studies on art and ecology. And in addition, you have in Dartington MA programs in different fields of sciences around sustainability. So it would be lovely to hear more about your programs in Dartington and, uh, and also hear uh, more precisely really what you are doing and how you have st structured your studies, what kind of curriculum you have and what kind of educational principles, perhaps collaborations and goals you have. Mm. Yeah, so um, Dartington as a higher education institute is tiny. You know, we, we have uh, around 250 students and where we have a rural location so we're not a big university um we're very different from a from a big university and we have a long uh, history of association with progressive education um which i'll say more about in a minute um but because we're tiny we we deliver our phd programs in partnership with the university of westminster and we deliver our master's and undergraduate program um, in partnership with the University of Plymouth. So just to try and give you a picture of what Dartington is, it, it's an ancient estate. It's in the Doomsday Book in the 11th century, and it goes back much further than that, too. It's in the south of England. Um, it has farmland, so a working farm, um, a river the river dart and woods we're, we're working on acknowledging the rights of the river itself at the moment um, dartington has had higher education courses since the 1960s and they've always focused on arts ecology and social justice um, and that that continues to be you know our core mission now We've got renewable energy and food growing experiments on site. And I suppose because Dartington is this kind of island itself, in a way, it's it's an intact medieval estate that survived into the contemporary period. Um, so we're, we're trying to use it as a kind of model or lab um, for living, you know, the, the principles, uh, the ecological principles that we're we're also discussing and learning about. Um, 
So we're imagining, visioning, prototyping, living ecological futures with a particular emphasis on food production, land use and culture. We we grow um, a substantial proportion of our own food, the food that's consumed on site by students, staff and visitors. Um, and we're generating a substantial proportion of our own energy. And there's also we also have our own water source, um, water supply on site. We've now got two faculties, Schumacher College um, and Dartington Art School. And we've recently overhauled our portfolio of courses so that we can enable wider participation, you know, in a broader demographic of students. So we significantly dropped our fees. We introduced part time and other flexible modes of learning. And we've currently got 11 master's programmes and one undergraduate programme and plans for a few more, plus the PhD programme. Our master's programmes are, I'm going to give you the titles because I think it gives you something of an idea of our focus. So they are Regenerative Food and Farming, Engaged Ecology, Regenerative Economics, Holistic Science, Ecological Design Thinking, Arts and Place, Poetics of Imagination, Cultural Production, Reimagining Performance Making, Arts and Ecology, and mind movement and ecology. So, you know, I think you get the, you get the picture of <laughs> what we're interested in. And then at, at the moment, we just have one undergraduate program, a BSc in regenerative food and farming, which is starting this year. Um, and but we hope we'll have more undergraduate programs in the future. Um, yeah. So as I said, we're small. Um, our history is connected to the history of progressive education. Um, So it has links with the Bauhaus and with Black Mountain College. Um, Walter Gropius designed our cinema. Um, We had, in the early 20th century, there are a lot of interesting artists who came through Dartington, including artists and thinkers. So including Rabindrath Tagore, Ballet Use, Mark Toby, Mary Wigman, Bernard Leach, uh, John Cage, Merce Cunningham, Marianne Dutre, Mary Wigman, and so on. Um, <laughs> and um, there, there was uh, there was a school running at Dartington, a progressive school. Um, and one of the students was, or pupils, was Michael Young. So he grew up on the Dartington estate, and he was very involved in the um, Labour Party manifesto after the Second World War and in the development of the um, Open University in the UK and the welfare state in the UK. Um, So also Bertram Russell was at Dartington. So, yeah, it has this history of both intellectual and creative um, engagement with, you know, alternative ways of living. Um, Another key thing to say about our study courses is that we see ourselves as a learning community, you know, in the way that Black Mountain College was, for example. So the students get involved with the food growing on site, growing their own food. We're cooking together. We focus on seasonal rituals like the apple harvest. Um, We're talking together over meals and we don't see those activities as just something that happens 
around the formal classes, but rather as part of a really key part of the learning process. So we're learning by doing, you know, learning hands on, learning by trying to live what we're learning. Um, yeah. Sounds sounds uh, quite almost unbelievable, uh, that kind of utopian, utopic place. It's not utopic. And which a huge history. So, of course, one would start to wonder uh, how you are financing the whole uh, system. Is it a kind of uh, multi, multi, multiple uh, sponsors or multiple uh, sources or uh, what kind of uh, supporting, supporting mm. system you have? Yeah, um, for how we are financing it. Yeah, with difficulty, <laughs> mm. like <laughs> like so many people. Um, and of course, uh, also, I, sh- I should say that we're really interested in Finnish progressive education. You know, that, that because that, you know, there's um, a lot of really interesting initiatives going on in Finland in particular, I think, that where we've had our eye on at all levels, you know, school level and university level. Um, But just to go back to your finance question, well, um, so Dartington was this medieval estate, you know, it was owned by the brother of the king in the 11th century um, and then by an aristocratic family, and then it fell into ruin. And in the early 20th century, it was bought by a couple, Dorothy and Leonard Elmhurst, And Dorothy was an American heiress, uh, a member of the Whitney family. So she was one of the richest women in the world. Um, And Leonard was uh, an associate of Rabindrath Tagore and really interested in agriculture and rural regeneration. And they set up what they called the Dartington Experiment. So they had a lot of money (laughs) when when they did that in the early 20th century and hosted all these really interesting artists, the, the school, um, and um, they yeah, renovated the estate. They added some really impo- important modernist buildings to the medieval buildings that they renovated. And lands- there's a fantastic landscape garden and a medieval deer park. So they renovated all of that and provided you know work in the process for a lot of local people and international artists. Um, however, they they didn't leave an endowment, and the you know the run the money inevitably starts to run out. <laughs> so now Dartington has certainly has a financial challenge, and the way that we're um, we're coping with that is that we have a mixed economy. So we um, you know we have tenants who are farming the land, or residential tenants, or lots of small 170 small businesses on site. But they're all aligned with our mission, arts, ecology, social justice. Um, we have student accommodation and a hotel on site. We have a couple of restaurants. So that so we also have visitors. We're open to visitors. Yeah. So we're, we're just, uh, je- you know, supporting ourselves through a mixed economy, really, including our higher education courses. Yeah. So in that sense, it's also uh, kind of uh, one part of your education, perhaps, uh, how to uh, finance this kind of maybe experimental or alternative uh, uh, action or 
Yes, it is. Uh, yeah, you're right. You're right um, yeah, we we also run a lot of short courses um, in again in the same areas, topic areas. You know, arts, ecology, social justice. But as you say, uh, it. it we, I just participated in a project with heritage students um, at University of Plymouth, and they were comparing three medieval fortified houses you know looking at the financial model and how they're sustainable and how how they're surviving so yeah how do you see the role of education and of course artist uh, education in particular in ecological transition mm. and perhaps also in addition to this that what is uh, your idea of the importance of art in ecological transition in general? Yeah, in terms of ecology and education, it was interesting, and particularly arts education, it was very interesting when we ran this um, laser talk series, Art After the Collapse, last year. Um, And there were a lot of debates with the audience about the roles of activism and art in relation to the current ecological situation. And it, it became a bit polarized, I felt, you know, where there was this notion of art as a, from some people, as a frivolity that can no longer be afforded or indulged in. Um, and that seems really misplaced to me. You know, I <laughs> I contest that. Um, to me, art carries human values and and it has done since the very first art you know since cave art um and if if we just went down the road of activism without human values that will take us somewhere worse than where we already are <laughs> in my view so i you know i i don't think we should expect art to be instrumental to be about solutions and applications um alone in itself but we shouldn't underestimate the power of images, words, experiences which art creates. And I think it, you know, it creates a visceral and an, an emotional connection to issues um, and a, a felt experience of the issues that we're grappling with. If we can bring about a paradigm shift, we need to be taking good values better values than we have now um, into that paradigm shift with us. And I I feel quite strongly that future fiction has a role to play here. And that, you know, that future fiction might be written or it might be in visual art or in film. Um, I've just been studying Ursula Le Guin and J.G. Ballard and Doris Lessing and Russell Hoban with my um, MA students who are studying poetics of imagination. And we're we're thinking about the role of story in paradigm shift, in inventing possible different futures. Um, so, yeah, I I feel that we uh, we should that that we should continue to educate artists to be making um, images, texts, experiences that grapple with the issues, rather you know, rather than expecting them to become sort of faux. Uh, eco engineers or scientists they can you know they artists collaborate very effectively with people in other disciplines 
we have in Helsinki had a public discussions recently uh, whether art should have any external goals, let's say instrumental goals, perhaps what uh, the word you used, uh, like for example that it should take into consideration ecological or other societal problems, or whether uh, especially fine art still should be a kind of free area which should not be limited by external requirements or claims. So, uh, of course, my, uh, or no, not of course, but my opinion is that art has never been free from the external preconditions, but the preconditions have changed according to society and uh, world order. And we must uh, admit that we have these planetary conditions right now that we cannot avoid and we have to learn to adjust uh, or learn to uh, adjust to. These preconditions don't necessarily mean that all art in the future should deal with ecology, for example, or ecocide or climate change as such, but rather that these factors must have an effect and influence on how art is made and what kind of art will be made in the future. Thinking uh, about the future of uh, art, you already maybe uh, gave a kind of answer, but still I would, uh, I, I could, uh, uh, I could straight uh, ask you, how do you, how do you see the role of art in society in near future? Let's mm. say within 20 years time or so, and have you uh, any vision of what kind of forms it will get? Yeah, I, I think certainly, um, well, first, uh, the, almost all of the artists um, I encounter, you know, student artists or other artists at the moment are inevitably working with ecological issues in some shape or form. You know, how, how can we, um, as a species, not be doing that at the moment it's it's uh, the overwhelming main thing that we have to address in every way you know personally in in our work in in our societies um and certainly i think that ecological art has to live according to its own premises you know in terms of how it works with what materials um what kind of waste it's uh leaving or how it deal how it's dealing with that um how it's who it's engaging with um whether that's you know human or or others so yeah one form of art i'd like to see in the future apart from future fiction is um art that uh, is for the more the other than human or um in collaborates with them if that's possible um you know like there's uh there's been a very interesting project in in finland that you're probably aware of by thomas latinen where he's been working um with octopuses or making an artwork for octopuses as the the audience you know i suspect that's a really interesting area um it's, it's a risky one you know because how do we how do we avoid making presumptions about other species and how do we communicate but you know I, I think because it's something is difficult doesn't mean that we shouldn't try and do it 
Um, I, I guess uh, I've always myself been interested in ephemeral art, in performative art, in dialogic art, and, you know, I'm sure that will continue to be more and more an important facet of, of, of arts practice. Um, and, yeah, technology is also how we use our technologies is uh, to interact with the other the more than human is interesting you know uh, we when Nameda and Gedaminas Urbanus and I organized a lecture series in Lithuania um, for zoetics and one of the artists presenting was Natalie Jeremy Jenko who's been making artworks for fish you know using technology and there there are lots of artists working in that field now um, and I can see that being a, a continuing area. You know, I think that working with the future doesn't have to be escapist. It's it should be uh, thinking about the future be, should be something that helps to pull us there. Yeah, thank you. Well, that's good to uh, good sentence to us uh, to to uh, not to end, uh, but to somehow. Uh, turn towards the end of our discussion, thinking of this uh, future of uh, art. Uh, do you have uh, some reading recommendation that would help uh, us to take action and learn more? Yeah, I mean, first I'd, um, of course, mention books I've been involved in myself, <laughs> like um, The Midden. Um, which has some wonderful essays by uh, Yusi Paraka, Taru Elfing, Yeni Nurmeniemi, myself, um, uh, the Remote Performances in Nature and Architecture book, which I mentioned about the treehouse in Scotland, um, the Public Space Lost and Found book, which is edited by Gediminas Urbanus, and that includes something on the River Runs project in Oxford that we did together. And I think that uh, there's also a book coming out on zoetics with MI Press soon. Um, I mean, myself, I've been very influenced by look, writers such as Roger Deakin, um, who wrote a book called Waterlog about swimming around the UK. Um, it's a very, very beautiful book, beautifully written. Uh, Robert McFarlane, um, his, his books, and Tristan Gooley, who writes wrote a book called How to Read Water. Um, so really, you know, all of those are, for me, about that proximity with the more than human, which I mentioned earlier, um, through embodied experience, through um, close observation. Um, but really, I think I'd strongly recommend some future fiction writers. So I mentioned Ursula Le Guin, the Dispossessed, it's very interesting. Um, Russell Hoban, it's Ridley Walker, which is very much about the role of story in uh, creating culture. Um, J.G. Ballard, The Drowned World. Emmy Itaranta, the Finnish, Finnish uh, future fiction writer, very interesting. Um, and my own future fiction is published in a book called The Water Age and Other Fictions good group of books we can start with and I hope really that we can continue with this uh, work and have a possibility to change our experiences maybe and ideas in the future so uh, I want to thank you so much uh, Tracy yeah, it was really wonderful to have you here 
Thank you, Hannah. Thank you for inviting me and good good luck with your um, new courses. And I hope that we will have continue to have dialogue between us, you know, perhaps between your students and our students at Dartington and see what see what can evolve. Thank you for listening to Art Science Ecology podcast by Ihme Helsinki. In the next episode, Jussi Parikka, professor at the Winchester School of Art of University of Southampton, and artist researcher Susan Shupley will discuss Shupley's thoughts around her latest research and works, which deal with research on the subject of frozen water and the politics of cold. The podcast was produced in collaboration with Helsinki Open Waves. Please give us feedback via the link at description. If you like the podcast, follow it at Spotify Review and subscribe the program at Apple Podcasts so others will find it as well.